0: Good morning everyone. Good morning. Good morning and welcome to Old Providence Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church. What a joy it is to be with you all this morning. And a, a happy October to you as well as it is the first. What a beautiful day the Lord has given us to come and worship him, especially as the table is set before us for communion. That that time when we receive the blessings of God's covenant promises. Again, I welcome you to Old Providence, no matter if it's your first or your 500th, Lord's stay with us. If you are new here, though, I would love to meet you. I'll be under the portico outside after the worship service, so please do stop by. Now, as far as announcements go, let me just point you to your bulletin where all sorts of things are mentioned, including things like choir practice. Um, is Little Lambs tonight, Amanda? Little Lambs and Youth Group tonight at 530 um the bulletin also mentioned something about a potato bar fundraiser for the women of the church however that's going to be on the 22nd not on the 15th and for very good reason um, that that randy's actually going to come up and talk about in just a moment here but please do adjust your plans for that and speaking of the 22nd we are going to be not only having a congregational meeting for the purpose of electing elders We will also be voting on carpet and paint color and those sorts of things, but more will be coming on that the closer we get to it. So go ahead and mark your calendars. Now, um, I'm gonna actually go ahead and call on Randy. He's the chairman of the Sessions Worship Committee, and he's got an important announcement to make concerning worship. There you
1: are, Randy. Good morning, family. Uh, this morning, I rise to bring you an announcement from the session and the worship committee. Thursday evening, the worship committee met along with the deacon representative and the refreshing project implementation chair. Uh, we received word that the planning phase is complete and that the next phase of the project will begin tomorrow, October the 2nd. For some time now, we have been planning where we would worship during this phase. An announcement had been circulated through both the uh, bulletin last week and the newsletter, and the congregation has received those. Please take note that next Sunday, October the 8th, we will worship in Providence Hall with two services as it had been previously announced, one at 9 a.m. and one at 11 a.m., If things go as anticipated and this is the good news we will return back into the sanctuary on October the 22nd and remain in this room until after the first of the year uh, when we will need to move back into Providence Hall the session strives to keep you aware well in advance if we have to make changes now I know most of the open-door people got past his lesson this morning from Gideon. But as we read in Judges, Gideon was given confirmation of God for a plan to defeat the massive Midian army. And chapter 7, verse 15, tells us that the first thing that Gideon did after he received that confirmation was to worship. So now let us enter into a time of worship as we prepare ourselves for God's message and the celebration of the Lord's Supper. Thank you very much. Thank you
0: very much Randy. Are you sure you don't wanna preach instead of me this morning? Because We can do it, man. No takers, all right, nevertheless, no. We- so, as Randy announced, for the next couple of weeks, right, it, it, it's going to be some changes. We'll get through it together. It's only two weeks, but please do uh, employ patience. Maybe if you got the newsletter, you got my article about that, but hopefully it will just be two weeks, but it's an exciting thing that the Lord is working here at Old Providence. It, it's an exciting thing that we have too many people to fit in Providence Hall for one worship service, so we need to go to two. So let's keep the proper perspective as we go through this time together. Now, as far as the Bolton goes, there's other announcements. I'm going to let you find those. But I will note that as it's a communion Sunday, there's no children's church or children's message, um, but parents do engage your children over what they see here today. Um, also today, we are taking up a special offering with the, the different colored envelopes for missions. And the entire proceeds of this are going to the Cochran's. Uh, Michael came and preached just a couple of months ago for me up here. Deacons, y'all are meeting right over here. Look for Nat after the worship service. Um, if y'all have any questions about anything, please let me know, let Randy know. Now, again, what a joy it is. The Lord has given us this time. He has carved out this portion for us so that we can come together and worship him. Let's prepare our hearts now as Donna leads us in the prayer room. Our call to worship today is one that I believe so appropriate given the fact that we come to the table later when I read the words of the institution and when I offer the warning for self-examination, I encourage you to take those to heart that that time where you can go to the Lord and confess your sins and take those before him and receive forgiveness. But you don't have to wait till then. You can do it right now. Listen to what the psalmist says. As Our call to worship is Psalm 32. When he wrote, how joyful is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How joyful is a person whom the Lord does not charge with iniquity and in whose spirit is no deceit. And then he says this, he says, when I kept silent, my bones became brittle from my groaning all day long for day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was drained as in the summer's heat. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not conceal my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, Let everyone who is faithful pray to you immediately. When the great floodwaters come, they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You protect me from trouble. You surround me with joyful shouts of deliverance. My friends, there are many reasons why we are gathered in this place today. Certainly the fact that the almighty God has called us to worship him, but amongst the highest, the greatest reasons is that we are a people that has been forgiven of a debt that we could never, ever pay, that we would spend all of eternity trying to pay, but we would never pay it. And we were forgiven as a result of Jesus Christ's work on the cross, what these elements point to today before you at the table. So as we enter into this time, what greater call for worship do we have than the fact that we have been redeemed? And let us worship in light of these truths. Let's now go to the Lord in prayer, after which we'll pray the Lord's Prayer and confess the Apostles' Creed together. But let's go to him now. Our Father, we thank you for this time that you have given to us, this time in which you have called us out of the day-to-day routine. And instead, you've given us the opportunity to stop, to focus on you, on your greatness, on your love, on your mercy that is evident in so many ways and certainly evident in the table before us the bread which represents the body that was broken of our Lord, that the blood that represents his blood that was poured out for the remission of our sins. Please, work in our heart now. Every person in this room, every person that is watching this online is doing so because you have called them to do so. And it's for your reasons, for your plan for their lives. So please, Work in our hearts now that we would have understanding that we would be filled with joy. And in that joy, we would unite together and proclaim the greatness of Christ. We pray this and all things in Christ's name and we pray as he taught us to pray by saying, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen indeed. And now as we say the Apostles' Creed together, let me ask you, Christian, what is it that you believe? and sits at the right hand of god the father almighty from thence he will come to judge the living and the dead i believe in the holy spirit the holy christian church the communion of saints the forgiveness of sins the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting amen amen indeed now let's continue worshiping by taking our hymn books The words, of course, are on the screen as we sing together. Hymn 140, Rejoice! The Lord is King, hymn number 140. Let's now take this time to go to our Lord in silent prayer. Again, I've read from the 32nd Psalm, we come to the table. Take this time to go to the Lord confessing those things that you need to take before him. Later, I'm going to warn you that the communion is for those that are in Christ. And this doesn't just mean Christians. It means if you're running from the Lord over something, you should not eat. You should not drink. So so take this time to go to the Lord and confess those sins that, that you might be harboring. Ask for the help that you need from the Holy Spirit who will guide you. Let's go to him now. Eternal God and Heavenly Father, while we have many reasons to celebrate, while we have many reasons to come and worship you, let it not escape us that you are so gracious and merciful, that you are so loving and that you have freed us from death, from hell, but also the bondage of sin. We struggle, as as the Apostle wrote, we struggle against the old one that is within us, our sinful natures, but you have given us victory in Jesus Christ. As you have called us to this place today, we marvel at your magnificence, but we must recognize also our own shortcomings, our own sinfulness. Please please work in our hearts, Father, if we don't. Let us see those things. Wash even our tears that we would cry as we don't recognize these things. Instead, working in our hearts, let us see and let us have broken hearts. As as your son said, let us be poor in spirit. Let us mourn over our sinfulness, all the while seeking your face and, and glorying, praising you that Jesus Christ came, lived the perfect life, and then died on the cross and saved us while we were still sinners. Father, we can't go back and and, and undo those things that we have done or failed to do, but we can go forward. And we know that we don't go forward alone. You have given us each other, uniting us together in Christ Jesus along with the call to unify. But also, you have given us your Holy Spirit, the helper, the counselor, the one that dwells within us to turn the lights on for us to see, to to impress upon our hearts those things that that you desire for us and that we ought to desire for ourselves. Father, please let us be sensitive to your calling. I pray that not only in light of the table set before us and this grand privilege we have today, but also in light of what you're doing at Old Providence. You have blessed us. You've been so faithful to this congregation throughout the generations. And we pray that that faithfulness would continue. But in turn, let our desires be that which you desire for us. Let us seek your face, not just as individuals, but together all the while pursuing that which is right and good and that which you have for us in your love and in your mercy. Protect us from squabbling. Protect us from infighting. Let let us be patient. Let us show one another a fraction of the grace that you've shown us because the grace that we can show doesn't even compare. But instead, work in our hearts to this end. As we think about our people here at Old Providence, we pray that you would be with us. With those that are struggling from illness, we pray that you would bring healing and bring it quickly. For those who are mourning like like Randy this morning and his family with the loss of his brother, I, I pray that you would bring healing again, peace, and a special measure of your presence and comfort, comfort and peace that passes understanding. For those that are struggling in other ways, you know what they are, Father, so please intervene and bring that healing, bring that encouragement, bring that correction, bring whatever it is So that in all we do, we proclaim Christ. In word, yes, but also in deed. We pray the same thing for our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world. Especially for those that are in harm's way. Oh, Father, please protect them. Please spur them on again and again that your church would grow and grow. And do the same with us. Let us see your calling Let us recognize the opportunities you bring our way, including the opportunity to suffer for the sake of Christ. Let us follow you with boldness, recognizing our need for you. I pray all of these things in Christ's name. Amen. And now let us continue our time of worship by taking our hymnal again and turning to number 368 as we sing. Well, the title is my hope is built on nothing less. I guess I was thinking about what I grew up calling it, the solid rock when I made the slide. But either way, let's stand and sing number 368 together. go to our Lord our Father as we have just lifted up truly apart from you doesn't matter what we stand on it's just sinking sand you you've protected us you've watched over us you've provided for us and now as we return to you from that provision we pray that you would bless the gift that you would bless the giver that your will would be done that we would follow you and we pray it all in Christ's name amen maybe mm very much car it's a very fitting album uh, anthem for today I, I hope that as you listen to that this concept of being washed wider than snow i hope that matters to you i hope that that is to a certain extent why you are here because you recognize what christ did on the cross if you don't if you don't see the need for that it's because you don't know him look i don't, I don't want to preach before i preach but really and truly the, the fact of the matter is that god is holy And if you're unholy, you can't be in his presence. And the only way you can be made holy is through the blood of Jesus Christ. To be washed whiter than snow, as we have just heard. So I hope that that is your view of Christ. I hope that you come today with that sense of appreciation. Because, my friends, the table is set before us. And it is the Lord's table. And it's filled with the elements for the Lord's Supper. That time in which we are lifted spiritually into the presence of Christ to receive the benefits of what it means to belong to him. And while these elements first point to our Lord's sacrifice, as I've just talked about it, 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. While communion points to this truth, first and foremost, it points to another subject too. A subject that, on the one hand, we know all about on the surface level. But on the other hand, we really don't have that much experience with. At least not the subject that this table points to. Now, what is it? Enough mystery. The subject that the table points to, apart from Christ's sacrifice, is suffering. Yes, it points to the Lord's suffering, the Lord's sacrifice, we're reminded in his word, right, when I read the institution, the words of the institution later, that that, that that this points to Christ's suffering that we proclaim when we eat and when we drink. But this table doesn't only point to the Lord's suffering. No, it, it also points to the suffering we're called to have, that we're called to go through. We are called to suffer for the Lord and for the Lord's sake. And this is that side of suffering. This is that deeper level of suffering that most of us simply do not understand. Not on its deepest level. Hence our our passage today. Where we find ourselves today as we focus on the book of Philippians is at the end of chapter 1 where the apostle, and and forget about Paul. He's the human author, right? But this is God's word. But it's where God reveals our calling to suffer with Christ. And we're going to start reading in verse 27, but before we read anything, let's pray because do we ever need help? Let's go to the Lord. Our Father, please be with us now as we come to this subject of your son's suffering. We, we certainly can look back on the cross and see that he suffered and died for us. And yet in our context, it is so rare when we are given the opportunity to truly suffer for him and And Lord, I'm I'm not asking that you make us suffer, but instead I'm asking that we follow what your word says, that we do what your word commands, and that as a result, as a result, we would reflect Christ. And if suffering comes, that grand gift of suffering, so be it. But let us be found among the faithful. The fact is, Father, we're not going to see any of this apart from you, so please open our eyes. Guide us now by your Holy Spirit, and I pray it all in Christ's name. Amen. Philippians chapter 1, beginning in verse 27. Hear now the word of the Lord. It says this. It says, just one thing. As citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then... Whether I come and see you or am absent, I will hear about you that you are standing firm in one spirit, in one accord, contending for the faith of the gospel, not being frightened in any way by your opponents. This is a sign of destruction for them, but of your salvation, and this is from God. For it has been granted to you on Christ's behalf, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are engaged in the same struggle that you saw, I had, and now hear that I have. And we'll stop reading right there. May God bless the reading of his holy, inerrant, and infallible word. Amen and amen. Well, my friends, we have read our passage, and quite clearly it's right there. We just read it. Verse 29, but also to suffer for him... We've heard the call. We've seen it. But we've got to figure this out because, like I've said, this is not something that we're that familiar with. Don't get me wrong. We get suffering. Oh, we get suffering. The the nature of this life that we live to a certain degree is suffering. My goodness, think about where we are, though. Even that, we have to to put a little asterisk mark beside, don't we? Our suffering compared to that of the world is, is shockingly different. The fact that you and I can go to a sink and turn on the water and, and drink what comes out of it, puts us so far ahead of the vast majority of the world around us. The fact that we have electricity and modern plumbing, the, the fact that, that you can call an ambulance and go to a hospital, the fact that you can go to Dollar General and buy a loaf of bread for two or three bucks, even with inflation, right? Well, while we face pain and suffering that results from relationships, we face pain and suffering physically from illness and that sort of thing, we really don't even know a certain degree of suffering that is present in the world around us. Most of us don't understand what it is to be hungry and not only to have no food, but even if you had the money to get it, no food exists. We don't live in that part of the world. So we don't get that. It's one of my seminary professors said It's difficult for us to pray and understand, give us this day our daily bread, when we can so easily procure it. But please hear me. I'm I'm not saying that you have not suffered on other levels that are realities unto themselves. Let's be honest. Suffering comes in many forms. And we face it as a result of living this life. We suffer when people disappoint us, we, we suffer when we lose heart, when we're betrayed or lied about or sinned against. We suffer when some people go. Sometimes we suffer when some people come into our lives. We suffer when we face difficulties. That can be difficulties of an emotional variety, a physical variety, such as medical difficulties. That sort of suffering is real and please as I talk about the blight of uh, the plight of the third world, that sort of thing. Don't I'm not saying that the suffering that you have faced is not real. It's real and it hurts. It's terrible. And I'm not belittling it. And sometimes the suffering of heartache, of loss is far worse than anything we can face physically. We get suffering on that level. But when it comes to suffering for Christ, and the fact that we are called to suffer for the Lord, for the sake of Christianity, for his church, we also need to be honest. To God's glory by his grace, we're in Spotswood, Virginia right now, in the United States of America. We're in a time and in a place in the history of our nation that when people drive by, they know exactly what this building means. And just in case there was any doubt, we put a sign out front, not only advertising what we are, but when we meet together. Without a doubt, without a doubt, it's becoming more difficult to be a Bible-believing church in America, okay? And, And without a doubt, persecution of Christianity in America on an economic level is starting to really crop up. But again, let's be honest. When you compare the suffering for Christ that we face to that that is going on in the world around us, there is no comparison. We don't have to worry this morning about being rushed by fundamentalist Hindus who will beat us to death for worshiping Jesus like they do in India. We don't have to worry about ISIS coming in and murdering us and burning down this building like they do in Nigeria or other ISIS-controlled countries. We don't have to worry about what North Korean Christians have to worry about if they happen to find a Bible, their black bag. And not only them, but the past two generations, you know, for having a Bible, it's a three-generation punishment in North Korea. It's not only you, it's your parents, it's your grandparents if they haven't starved to death yet. They get arrested, some of which fed to wild dogs for sport. We don't have to worry about Christians in China like they do being placed in a concentration camp or having our organs harvested just for the sake of being Christians. And I'm not talking about things that happened in the past. I'm talking about things that happen today. So again, while we know what suffering is due to the human condition that we all experience, as the followers of Christ, we do not have that same level of understanding for suffering For the sake of Christ, that our brothers and sisters in faith around the world and across time, for that matter, have faced. So, what do we do? Verse 27 just one thing. As citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. That's what we do. We don't go looking to suffer. But instead, a message is conveyed here that right from the start, I'll tell you the overall meaning of this. It's when you live as citizens of heaven, a life worthy of the gospel of Christ. You don't have to look for suffering. Suffering finds you. Because when you do this, it's so drastically different from what's in the world around you. A world full of death. And that world, when you do this, you represent life. A world full of darkness. But when you do this, you're the light. And nothing's changed in 2,000 years. When Jesus, the light of the world, came, the darkness sought to overcome it, but couldn't. So it is with the beloved of God, which you are, if you are a follower of Christ. Realize that our passage points us to a universal truth for all Christians in all places across all times, and it's this. No matter what your circumstances, our calling. If you had to pick one line, it's to live a life worthy of the gospel. Again, this doesn't mean looking for suffering. It doesn't go, mean going out of your way to create suffering. Instead, it means living a life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Why? Because no matter what your address is, on, on an envelope, your, 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 your mailbox, it doesn't matter. If you belong to Christ, that means this world is not your home. You are a citizen, actually, of heaven. And a place has already been prepared to you, according to Jesus in John 14. It starts here, but then what do you do? Well, the answer is revealed in the last part of verse 27. It says, then, whether I come and see you or am absent, I will hear about you, that you are standing firm in one spirit, in one accord, contending together for the faith of the gospel. After Paul tells them that they are the residents of heaven, by extension he says the same to us, he then gives his call, live lives worthy of the gospel. And after he tells them this, he tells them how to do it. What does it mean to live a life worthy of the gospel of Christ? Number one, it means to stand firm in one spirit, in one accord as we just read. In other words, stick together as the followers of Christ. That's how you live a life worthy of the gospel. Make sure that you are united together. And that's got some things built into it, right? You're not going to be united with Christians that you don't know and you never see. So we're called not only to worship together, but to spend time with one another, to know each other. But we cannot miss that vital piece of unity. Remember what Jesus said just prior to his crucifixion and subsequent resurrection. Uh, Of all the things that he could have prayed for. In John 17, Jesus prayed this. He said, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one. Just as you are, Father, or just as you, Father, are in me, and I am in you, that they also may be in us. Why? So that the world may believe that you have sent me. Think about that. Y'all, what Jesus has said is the validity of his message is based off of our unity. Our unity. Verse 22, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know. Know what? That you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Right there, Jesus says that our unity not only shows the validity of he himself as the Savior, but our unity points the world to God's real love. Of all the things that Jesus could pray for, he prayed for this, that we would be united to one another in him. Y'all never underestimate the power of unity within the church and its effect on the world around you because as much as it tries to present a united front y'all know that the world is not united it devours itself on every occasion that it can right the the, but what the church is called to do is totally different The, the whole paradigm for church growth in the scriptures it's not programming it's not any of that stuff according to the book of acts the way that the first church the early church grew was by being united together. And then the people on the outside saw something so different in the church from what they saw in the world around them. They had to know. They had to become a part of this thing. They didn't understand it, but it was so different. Y'all, that's the basis of church growth. That's how you live a life worthy of the gospel, by uniting together. But also, he didn't just leave it by saying unite together. He called us to contend for the faith contend for the faith. What does this mean? We live a life worthy of the gospel when when we unite over contending for the gospel, When, when we stand by the things that Jesus taught by what he preached when he said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No man comes to the Father through me. Contending for the faith means standing up for this. Not treating Christianity as though it's just one of many different world religions and there's lots of ways to get to God, whoever he or she may be. That's the philosophy of the world around you and it's the philosophy of hell. We're called to contend. We contend for the faith and we live lives worthy of the gospel when we stand up to the rising cultural tide around us of denying truth, denying Jesus, denying God's word we live lives worthy of the gospel. The good news of Jesus when we proclaim that we know him, when we love him, when we belong to him, and when we let other people see it. We contend for the faith when we stand up for Jesus, and we do so unashamedly and without fear. Now, this is where things go from preaching to meddling and things get tricky here, right? We do this without fear of what people think about us, without fear of what the world might just do to us. This is why verse 28 continues as it does by saying, not being frightened. He says, contend for the faith, not being frightened in any way by your opponents. And then he says, this is a sign of destruction for them, but of your salvation, and this is from God. You know, there's a promise here. And something is revealed in it. There's lots of ways to say it, but God knows. That's the first promise here. Don't think for one second that God doesn't see when people attack the church. As I talked about all those places in the world where Christianity is under intense persecution right now, as I speak Don't think that God doesn't see because he does. And two things are promised. One, God sees the enemies of the church and what they do serves as an indictment against them that they will answer for. And justice is coming for them. But to that same end, God sees when people suffer for Christ. And what he sees is evidence of their salvation. It's not the means of salvation. I'm not saying if you suffer enough, you'll be saved. No. Suffering for Christ is simply evidence of belonging to Him, and inasmuch it is a gift. The problem is is that when we hear about this, again in our context, we think, well, that's really good to know, but put yourself back. Take, take your minds back. Remember, this is the letter to the Philippians. Think about what this meant for them, y'all. Remember the persecution the early church faced? Everything from being served as as food for lions in the Colosseum as a means of entertainment to even worse, being used as human torches in garden parties for Rome's emperors. And still worse, the everyday struggle that they faced of being hunted for the sake of Jesus Christ. Paul himself, who was once one of those hunters looking for Christians, Is now a believer when he writes this but he is in chains he's in rome under arrest remember to them this promise that god knows that justice is coming for the enemies of the church for them that must have meant everything along with it the evidence of themselves belonging to christ that gift and while we may not get it rest assured that believers around the world that are in harm's way that are facing persecution. to them this means everything that God knows and sees. But again, we come back to the question, OK, what do we do with this? Here in America, where by God's grace and provision we have the freedom to worship. Well there's many ways to answer that question, both through what we should and what we should not do. but starting with the principle just revealed in verse 28, we should unite. We should contend, we should tell people about Jesus, contend for the faith, without shame. And that shame part is the tricky part for us. Because when we tell people about Jesus, usually it's not out of fear that the Gestapo will show up, that we'll be thrown in prison, that our families will be murdered. That's not the issue. But the shame part is. Because we got a problem. Shame is really just window dressing for good old-fashioned pride. And so often it's pride, the I, the focus on ourselves, that keeps us from sharing the truth of Jesus. We don't want people to think poorly of us. We don't want people to, 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 to tell us to mind our own business. We don't want people to bring up our past and say, well, who are you to talk to me about this? We don't want to face the backlash of a world ready to brand us as homophobes or Puritans or hate mongers or closed-minded or take your pick of the nasty things that people would call us if we contend for the faith. Most often, that's what gets in the way of our sharing the truth of Christ. What a shame that is, but also what a luxury this is. We, We in the American church, we're not worried about dying. So often, we just worry about who likes us. Who doesn't? The end result of this is what you find in the American church, though. Just like I said, God knows and God sees, and punishment comes to those who persecute the church. It cuts both ways. Because as a result of our not uniting together, as a result of our not contending for the faith, Behold the world around you. Behold what Christianity has become. It's because we haven't lived lives worthy of the gospel, as verse 27 says, that we find ourselves in the American church where we are now. Y'all, the fact is this. There's no suffering for Christ in America because there's nothing to suffer for, by and large. The reason Satan's not attacking The most part of the the largest part of the church is because what is there to attack? He's got so much of what calls itself the church exactly where he wants it. Why would he disrupt anything? And it's to our shame and it's to our loss. You might say, what are you talking about? Are you saying because we're not suffering, it's to our shame and to our loss? Well, I'm not saying it. But God sure does. He says it's been granted to you. On Christ's behalf, granted as a gift, gifted to you on Christ's behalf, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. To our shame, this gift of suffering with Christ, by and large, doesn't apply to the church in the United States. Because how we live as a Christian nation, we have this idea, this mindset, but the reality isn't there why verse 30 it goes on to say since you are engaged in the same struggle that you saw i had and now here that i have the reason that it's not here the reason we don't have this gift of suffering is because there's no engagement not by and large somewhere along the way the church got this idea that in order to protect itself and to grow itself it had to start looking like the world It had to do the things that the world did. It had to adopt the causes of the world, which is just a sham, y'all. Get underneath all these causes. I don't care what it is. It's not about politics. It's about morality. Go to the bottom of any social justice cause that you find, and you'll find a big, gigantic pile of money. And somebody gets really, really rich because of it. The world knows that. That's why the social cause is the social cause du jour. It's something different every day. It's something different every year. But the church got this idea in its mind that it had to do the things that the world did, that it had to look like the world. And the end result is that so much of the church in the United States is not engaged. We don't suffer because we're not engaged. We don't suffer because we're not united, because we're not proclaiming the truth of Jesus Christ, and it is to our loss. So what do we do? Well, the reality is is that you and I, we cannot control anybody else. You can't control the people closest to you. You can control yourself, though. Where this starts is not on some grandiose level. It starts with the individual. You and I must engage. Listen to me now. Suffering for Christ is a gift because it shows that you belong to him. It's the evidence of your salvation and it's the blessing of those who love the Lord. It's their blessing to suffer like he did because they know they remember what he did for us. But if you don't engage in the struggle, as verse 30 says says that we just read, if you don't contend for the gospel, if you don't unite together, you'll never have that gift. And the end result is that not only will you not receive that gift. The people around you who need you to contend for the faith will not find that contention. Listen to me now. The people you love need you to unite together. And they need you to contend for the faith. Why? Because real faith is the only genuine thing in our weary world real faith points to the good news of jesus and god gives you and me opportunities to share the truth of christ with people all around us that are going to hell and if you're guilty like i am of missing them if you're guilty like i am of not contending for the faith of not uniting together now's the time we stop now is the time to confess that guilt before the lord to ask Him to forgive you, and to ask the Holy Spirit to guide you and yield to the Spirit because every day He gives us opportunities. I've referenced this already, but in just a moment, I'm going to read the words of the institution wherein we're told that when we eat the bread and drink from the cup, we proclaim Christ until He returns. Let today be the start. Can't go back, but you can go forward. But y'all realize that the bread and the cup, as wonderful as they are, what they point to, that's not where everything starts for you. It's got to start in your relationship with the Lord. First off, do you know him? If you don't, turn to him now. Ask him to save you, and he will. Ask him to be Lord of your life, and he will. And then you, too, can be united to the people of God. And you can contend for the faith. But if you've done that, as you're going to hear in a moment, I'll call on you to examine your own heart. Confess what you need to before the Lord and then take and eat, take and drink all of it. And in so doing, you too can contend for the faith. But don't let it stop there. Stand up for truth. Tell others about Jesus and his love. Take the cup of blessing and pay to God the vows that you owe, as we will sing in a moment. But also remember that this table, this in this table, God uses it to cut through the things of this world that don't really matter. And he pulls us back to what does. That we're sinners saved by grace. That he loved us so much, he sent his son to die for us, to free us. And let us unite under that. Let us be united together. Y'all, really and truly, the communion schedule was set months and months ago. It's by no mistake that this big refreshing project starts tomorrow. And he calls us to the table today. Y'all, I I really went back and forth about what I was going to say about this. I was having a talk with my good friend Kyle Sims this week about a completely different subject. And he said, you know, when you go into something, your problem is you don't just tiptoe in. You don't just wade into the water. You do a cannonball into whatever it is. And as it relates to the sermons I preach, one day I will stand together. so I have to say what he lays on my heart. Y'all, it's by no mistake that the day before we start this project, we're coming to the table and receive this call to be united. Do I have to tell you how many churches blow up over things like carpet color and paint color? Do I have to tell you about how people can be ugly to each other over things that do not matter, over things that have... uh, no eternal significance whatsoever. Old Providence will not stand before the Lord and answer for our carpet-colored choices. But we will stand before the Lord over whether we unite and over whether we contend for the faith and take the opportunities that he gives us. As his under-shepherd, I will stand before the Lord for preaching or not preaching the whole counsel of his word as it relates to us. we got to come together. And I'm not saying this because we're, we're not. A, if you're a visitor here, it's not like we're on you know, a powder keg ready to erupt or anything. I'm just saying I know what lies ahead. I've been through this with other churches before. We have got stick together we've got to love one another not for our sake not for the sake of the institution we got to love one another because there's a world out there that doesn't know anything about love they don't know anything about truth they don't know anything about unity and what they will know about god will come from the love that he has for us that we reflect in how we love each other so as we come to the table Let's prepare our hearts, let's prepare our minds, and let us in gratitude come to the Lord now. Let's go to him in prayer. Our Father, we thank you for this time that you have given to us. We thank you for this calling, this this grand privilege that we have of knowing you, of, of belonging to you. The fact that we're not citizens of this world, but instead we're citizens of heaven. It sure is easy for us, though, to get wrapped up in the things of this world. It's so easy for us, Father, to lose sight. And and I say us in the truest sense because you know it applies to me. Cut through my heart. As we come to the table now, work in my heart that I would see my sin and bring it to you. And any who desires it, please do the same. But protect us, Father. Oh protect us from the evil one who isn't out there attacking churches That he's got them right where he wants them but he's going to attack us because the truth is going out. Please thwart his plans. Let us rise up together as we contend for the faith. And I pray it in Christ's name. Amen. As is our custom when we come to the Lord's table. We sing Bible song number 242, the first two stanzas and we save the third for after we partake, but I'll invite you now to stand as we sing Bible song number 242, I Love the Lord. may be seated. My friends, as the table is prepared before us, let me tell you that you are invited to take communion with us. However, as I have been referencing, be warned. Communion, number one, is for those that belong to the body of Christ if you are not a follower of Christ, if he is not Lord of your life, if you are not trusting in him alone for salvation, the bread and the cup are not for you. Let it pass. But furthermore, communion is for those who are living in faith. Does that mean living perfect lives? As I've said every time I serve, it does not. Otherwise, none of us could take it, and I certainly could not serve it. But... It does mean when you live a life of faith that you are submitting to Christ. That you are examining yourself. That if there's active rebellion against you, or against God in you, that you're handling these things. There should be no active rebellion. If you've got something that you're holding on to. If you've got a sin that you won't let go. If there is sin in your life that your conclusion is, this is just who I am or God made me this way. I know his word says this, but fill in the blank. It doesn't matter what you use to fill in the blank. If you're running from God, the bread and the cup are not for you. And it's not just because I'm fencing you from the table in doing this. My friend, it's because I love you. Listen to what God's word says. It says, therefore. Whoever eats the bread or drinks from the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord, that means without living faithfully, without turning to Christ in faith, asking Him to forgive you of your sins. But turning to him in trust, if anyone eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord, he eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is why many among you are weak and sick and a number of you have died. My friends, this is a beautiful time, but it is a serious time. I'm not saying these things to frighten you away. I'm saying these things so that you will take the time now. In just a moment, I will pray and thank the Lord for his body and his blood. Take that time to turn loose of those things that, you, that you're using to run from God. Give them to Christ. Ask for forgiveness and you'll be forgiven. And then you can take and eat and you can take and drink. But examine yourself as we come to the table. Let's pray. Our God and our Father, what a blessing it is that you have given us so many wonderful gifts. That you have shown us in so many ways your provision, your love, your mercy certainly in all the ways you have shown us your love it is in the fact that you gave your one and only son to suffer and die for us while we were still sinners so now as we come to the table we come thanking you for his body that was broken thanking you for his blood that was poured out and i pray it all in christ's name amen in first corinthians 11 paul writes for i receive from the lord What I also passed on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. I'll ask the elders to come forward, but please do hold the elements until such time that we all take together. This is the body of Christ which has been broken for you. Take and eat all of it. Paul goes on to write in 1 Corinthians 11 that in the same way after supper he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me, for whenever you eat this bread and drink from this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. This is the blood of Christ poured out for the remission of sins. Take and drink all of it. My friends, the bread and the cup have been passed, and by God's goodness he has given us this time together. Let us now close by singing the final stanza of 242. I love the Lord. Please stand. the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift his countenance upon you and give you peace, both now and forevermore. Amen.